All right. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. How are we doing? Oh, that was terrible. How are we doing? The cold has really gotten to you guys, huh? All right. It's all right. We'll, we'll try to wake you up. It's a tough thing to do when you're preaching, but I'll do my best, all right? So uh, I've had more than one request of um, explaining again, like we did the first week, since we're right in the middle of this Ecclesiastes series, um, that word that I use a lot, because you see in the ESV, vanity, or you see in the ESV, it's, uh, you know, meaningless. And it's so important to realize that Hebrew word is hebel. So I brought back my steamer, running out almost. Um, so quick, right? I thought about saying, come on, Jamie, don't use the same illustration. Use smoke or something, right? So I do have fire over here. But if you remember years ago when I tried to burn a Kleenex and it floated up into the air, we have the fire chief here today, but I don't think he wants to be putting fires out. So let's stay with the steam, right? This is Hebel, right? And, and so uh, you, that's why when you see it translated meaningless or vain or empty, it seems like, well, life is empty, life is meaningless. Well, what, why is that in our Bibles? And so we have to keep remembering that's not what it ultimately means. It means it's a, it's a breath or a vapor. This has meaning. It does exist. It has purpose. It's just so fleeting. And it's so quick to be gone. And it's swirl, it changes before you know it. And, and, and if you try to control, you try to grasp it, you can't. Right? And, and, and it's foggy or puzzling. Because it's so fast and you can't grasp it, we have a lot of questions. And so when, when the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, life is hebel, it's hebel, or vanity, what he's saying is not that it's meaningless. Your life is not meaningless. Of course not. He's saying it's quick. It's far, far more quick, uh, quickly than, than, we, than we get it credit for. And, and because that's the case, we've got to be careful of what we put our life's purpose in. And we'll see that again today as we conclude section two. But let's pray before we go there. Um, Lord, I, I pray that you would show us again and again and again, because we need that from you, by your grace, the more excellent way to live. Because we are so quick and here today and gone tomorrow, that, that we could live in such a way that has eternal significance. Show us how to do that, Lord. Give us a priority. Lord, I pray that you would reach every heart that's with us in the room, that's online with us today, wherever, whatever might be needed. I don't know what that is, but you do. So I pray by the power of Jesus and your Holy Spirit that you would change us one degree of glory at a time here this morning. And it's in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. 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 Um, so, uh, we've been taking Ecclesiastes, we're just doing seven weeks in it, right? So we're in week four, so it's going, it's Hebel, it's going quick, right? And um, we're taking it by sections, and we're in section two, which is chapters three to five, through five. Um, and, and last week, we, we really honed in on fifth, the first 15 verses of chapter three, so I'm going to cover the rest of it. So you, I hope you weren't planning on lunch. No, I'm not going to do that to you. Um, I'm going to try to streamline it. Because if you, if you remember last week, it was really about, hey, because it's Hebel, life, its purpose is in trusting God. It's bringing God glory. It's, it's just focus on that. Right? Yes, you're going to do a bunch of stuff in your life, but, but what's your ultimate purpose? It's that. Right? And I ended with that scenario. You get in the, when you were a kid, you got in your car and you just said, I don't know, my parents are in charge. If your life was to be about that, like, God's got this. But we're going to see today a few ways that the preacher brings out in this section that might tear us off course. In fact, I need some help. Hey, uh, Nick, can you help me? Oh, come on. What else are you doing? 
You got to put your shoes on? <laughs> You're my, one of my favorites for sure. All right. That would have been me. Nick is me when I was that age, except a way better musician than I ever could be. Someday up here. Anyway, we don't have time for it, all right? So you're today going to be, um, like, you're going to represent walking in life the excellent way, the way that's trusting God, right? So Nick's going to walk straight ahead, straight ahead. So this is what, but here's what happens. Every one of us, one of these things kind of shifts our focus over here, right? But then he goes to church or he reads his Bible, he gets back on that excellent way, right? And then it's like, ugh, and then there's a struggle, right? And he's back on the excellent way. We didn't even rehearse this. This is like a dance, right? Now go straight forward, right? And then go back to your seat. As he's doing that, let's cheer him up. So Nick, you got this, baby. Right? And so uh, we're going to see uh, in this section, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. I'm not going to cover it verse by verse. The preacher brings out these ways that can do that, that we struggle with, that all of us, one way or another. And the first is something we talk a lot about, <laughs> because the Bible talks a lot about it. It's called the way of self, S-E-L-F, self. <laughs> this manifests itself in so many different ways, right? It can be money, it can be success, achievement, popularity, power, right? Notice I didn't say a sinful thing there. I don't think. None of those things are bad in of themselves. You may be popular. Fine. You may have money. Great. But it's what's behind it. If it becomes the way of I'm going to make this my hebel life purpose, the preachers say, don't do it. Get back on the more excellent way. Okay, so the, 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 what I really like, I want to show you in, in chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, verse 4, is the preacher... Um, he gives us, I'll just read it. He says, Then I saw that all toil, all skill and work, come from a man's envy of his neighbor. It's kind of a downer way to look at it, but it's so true. Listen, he says, This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Well, what he's saying is not all, but most self-advancement is looking around. Oh, I got to have that. I got to be better than you. If you listen to a lot of our self-help gurus we got in our culture today, and there's a million of them, if you just wake up earlier than the next guy, right? If you're just faster than him, you read more, sleep less, you could do it. Right? And, and, it's, and it's all about looking around, and he said, and there's nothing wrong with some motivation, but if that's the only thing you're at, what's that going to get you in this Hebel life? I mean, it starts when you're so, I was like three years old. And by the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I got some screwed up front teeth. It's okay. Just not, you know, they're kind of messed up. Gives me some character, right? Every day, I go to a dentist. I love my hygienist. I've been there years. But they roll dentists, new dentists, like every two years. And um, I always know when it's a new dentist, they're going to say, I can fix that. <laughs> I'm like, what's your, you know, it went from braces to Invisalign to one dentist wanted to break them off and put two crowns in. I'm like, A, too expensive. Notice my priorities, right? B, too painful, all right? No. If David Letterman, for those of you who are old school, could, could live with it, or even older school, you know, the cover of Mad Libs, if he could live with it, so can I, all right? Plus, it is, I'm, I'll tell you how that's happened, okay? And it, every time I look in the mirror and see my crooked front teeth, it reminds me of this exact thing. So when I was three-ish, I think, um, my mom, she not only would watch my brother and I after school, but there was another brother tandem that they, their, their parents paid my mom to watch them after school. And so... 
Of course, the older of the two brothers would try to tease me because he was a few years older than me. Of course, boys being boys. And one day, we were sitting at our dining room table, and we had one of those dining room tables that usually, because it was, the leaves were down, right? But it was like the old school ones where you bring them up and you kind of hook it, but the, 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 the feet are still like this, so like the balance isn't exactly great on those tables, but it made more room. So we're sitting around that, we're coloring, right? And the older of the two brothers looks at me and goes, <laughs> my crayons are better than your crayons. And I said, well, I can come take your crayons if I want to have your crayons. He says, no, you can't reach my crayons. You can get my crayons. I'm like, oh, I'll come take your crayons. That's in my three-year-old mind. That's how it went down. It was probably more like, you know, but that's how it went down. And he's like, no, you can't, right? So, of course, I did my best attempt of Superman, right? Boom, on the table, it flips. One of my teeth goes all the way up on my gum. You couldn't even see it anymore. I lived in the dark ages. No, I actually lived in Dalton, so it's kind of like the dark ages. And, and my mom brought me to our dentist, Dr. Farrell. God bless him. He looked at me and he goes, eh, it'll be fine. Um, put some ice on it. When he gets his adult teeth, he'll just come out. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm not a dentist. I'm just thinking there's got to be a better thing we can do. Uh, but that's what we did. And so by the time my adult teeth came in, sure, it came out, but it was all crooked because of that. So now when I look in the mirror, I see that I remember this is the power of envy. Because I'm not three anymore. I couldn't care less about your crayons. Although, man, they got some sweet crayons these days, right? There's some boxes of 120 colors, right? But I don't really care that much. I'm not going to jump on a table for them. But maybe your car or maybe your popularity or maybe your clothes or maybe your vacation, or right? That power, that's what the preacher's saying. That, that it motivates us. We're like, I need to have that. I want to have that. And there is motivation in that sometimes, but if that's what your Hebel life's about, what's the point? Even if you get it, what did you get? It's fleeting. He's going to give us just a, I'm going to let me skip down a few verses. Verse 7, same chapter, chapter 4. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other. How sad. That's the theme of this. Watch. Either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? He never asked that question. What's the point? Right? This also is vanity and and an unhappy business. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. Right? When he falls... He has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, if you have church experience, Bible experience, you've probably read those verses before because they're usually brought out when, like, this is why it's important to have friends or people around you. And that's certainly true. But that's not the main point of the preacher. What he's saying is, if you're toiling for self, self, and boy, do we live in a culture that it's gotten there, right? I mean, what, like, everything's about your self-expression, and people have to accept you for you, yourself, yourself, yourself. If that's what your hebel life's about, self, 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 guess where you wake up? Alone. You're alone. You get yourself, and that's it. Because you might have a few people around you that are trying to take something from you, and that's about it. And that's what happens Right when, when, when the more we make our life about self, the more alone we are. You might, have a, you might be married, 
but you're alone in your marriage. You might have kids, but you barely have a relationship with them. Grandkids, they barely even know your name or where you live because your life's about. So I heard a, um, this guy's probably in his 30s based on, on his life story. He called in the radio with a station with a quandary. And, and, and it was, he said, hey, my, I got kids, I'm married. My parents are recent, they're, they're retiring. And they just met with a financial guru. Apparently this is a new philosophy out there for those of you who are into such things. And they sat with this guy's parents and they said, why did you make all of this to just leave it behind? Spend it on you. And so he said, my parents sat me down and said, don't expect anything from us. We're spending it all before we die. We're even getting a reverse mortgage. And we're going to, uh, he bought like a classic car, the dad, and then like they're going on all these vacations and just going to the spa every week, right? And, and, and so he's like, what do I do? And I remember thinking, that's so sad, but the more our culture goes towards self, it makes sense. There's people saying, that makes sense. But if they live that way, it's fine to get a car or whatever. It's, it's not that that's wrong. It's just that if that's their philosophy, just enjoy. Man, you better enjoy those moments of pleasure. Because guess what? You're waking up by yourself if that's your life. And that's his point. As you're like, self, 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 spend, vacation, this, that. Where's all the people to love me? Where do you think? You left them behind. You left them behind. And so there's different ways this happens. Um, one of them that, that he goes into, and I'm just going to give you one verse, but if you read it, it's in, in chapter 4, and he describes a king who has a lot of Power and popularity. They tend to go together. The more popular you are, the more power you have. Whether it's the playground or whether it's the boardroom or your community, whatever it is, the more power you have, typically the more popular or vice versa. And this king, in his time, had both. But this was the depressing result of it. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after wind. Do you think we need this message today or nobody really cares about being popular? Before the internet, most of us knew we weren't going to be popular. Now everyone thinks, oh, if people, they're going to watch my video, they're going to see my post, right? And I'm going to, and even if you do, and it's fine if something blows and you become popular, guess what's going to happen? A, they're going to try to tear you down because that's what happens. And B, they're going to forget about you someday. Even I was thinking about uh, Tom Brady this week. I think about Tom Brady almost every week. Sue me, all right? <laughs> but I was, he retired this week, if you didn't hear, again. So it'll probably happen a third time next year, whatever. But, but like, I was thinking about this, right? And, and this, he's held on longer than anybody could possibly hold on, over 20 years doing what he did. Incredibly popular, incredibly powerful, also wealthy, right? All of that, successful, right? But here's the thing. He's retiring People know who he is, but they're already thinking about the, the best quarterbacks now. Ten years from now, people will, I'm not saying they're going to forget his name. Like, I know some of the old names from way back. Oh, you should have saw Bart Starr play. I'm like, what? Who cares, right? He's in the Hall of Fame, and he's got his records. It doesn't matter to me. That's what's going to happen to Brady. Because, you know, I'll be telling my grandkids, you should have talked. He's like, oh, be quiet. I like so-and-so. The point is, it's fine to have the meaningful stuff in your life, but if, if that's what you're ultimately putting your life stock in, it's hebel. It's gone. It can't be what your life's ultimately about, even if your life does produce it. There's a more excellent way. Right, like um, a, a, a second or another one 
the, ten, the self tends to manifest itself is, well, I have over here. Oh, who wants some? Come on. You all know me by now. This is fake money, right? I'm not carrying around cash at this place. Are you kidding me? I know some of your backgrounds. I'm not doing that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All right. So, so like, like cold hard cash. If I just have enough money, I'll be happy or I'll make it, right? And, and so uh, Ecclesiastes, the preacher in, in um, chapter 5, he, he gets into that a little bit. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. <laughs> really? Right. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. <laughs> the more people around you, they go, me, 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 right? And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So all your advantage of, of, of accruing wealth is that moment you get where you're like, look at how much money I have. Who remembers watching the, the DuckTales? Come on, my age especially. Scrooge McDuck used to swim in his money. I mean, that was sweet. Probably dirty, but sweet, right? And, and like all you got, like in the real Scrooge from A Christmas Carol, like all he's got is his stuff. All you got is your, your printout of your bank statements. But guess what? It's Hebel. It's going to be given away. It's going to be spent. Somebody's going to take it, right? He says this in, in verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Money's not bad and making it's not bad. But if it's the purpose of your life, it will kill you. Jesus told the parable, the guy just kept building bigger barns, bigger barns, bigger barns. Remember? Ah, look at all that. Now I can enjoy it. And God says, you fool. Today your soul will be required of you. What do you have to show for it? You're going to leave it behind for someone else. It's not that the money's bad. It's what's behind it. Jesus said, talked about money more than anything else. Not because he cared care less about money. He didn't have any money. He didn't care about it. But he knew. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. And so we, we, we have to realize that the way of self, whether it's popularity, whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's achievement, it brings you nowhere. There's a more excellent way. You're going to end up alone. The more excellent way, like Jesus said, that the way of faith is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you do that, you end up loving your neighbor as yourself. And when you do that, guess what? You got people. You got people who care about you. So when you fall, they lift you up and vice versa. When you need someone, they're there. Because that's what community is. And that's what God designed us to do. The only way you have legit community is when you, is when you actually give of yourself instead of living for yourself. And that's the point. But it's a constant pull. If I just get that. If I just get that. The second I'm only going to give you two verses with this one, and it's one that's going to, because probably that, the one we just went through, is like, that makes sense. If you have any church background. But the second one that I think the preacher brings out to be careful of is the way of religion. And that one sounds weird, right? Aren't we religion? This is practicing a religion right here. Again, it's not bad. I hope not. We're doing it. But why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? What's the motivation? It's my religious performance, am I trying to make that who I am? And here's the problem, as you're going to see, when we get that way, we don't, we often do not know, there's not many people sitting around going, I'm a religious hypocrite and loving it. 
most people think they're doing it the right way. You don't believe me? Believe Jesus. Who did he always argue with? (laughs) The most religious people on earth. He didn't argue with the woman at the well. Why are you married so many times? He had a discussion with her. He argued with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? The religious people because he said, you are whitewashed tombstones. You look all religious. Inside you're rotting like a corpse. Right? The, the preacher in chapter 5, he talks about going into the temple. And he says this, guard your steps. Watch out when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. That's the key, right? They don't know. They think they're doing the right thing. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He goes on from there, but he's describing someone walking into the temple in Israel, right? And, and, and he goes in, and, and, he, and he's dressed up for, for, for his you know, church best, you know, his temple best. And he starts talking. I'm going to give this amount of money to God. I'm going to do this for God, right? And, I'm, right? and, and that's, just, that's not necessarily bad. It's all the motivation behind it. He says, just be careful. You should just shh and listen and listen because the way of religion can be dangerous because the Pharisees thought they were doing it right. They thought they were closer to God. That's why they got so angry with Jesus. What do you mean we're, I'm less than a tax collector? Yeah, because you don't understand who you are before God. We've been messing this up throughout history. They had all this pomp and circumstance in the temple. Sometimes it's like, where is God even here? Is God even here? He once told Isaiah, he's like, tell the people that their sacrifices stink. It's like, whoa, really? Yeah, because there's no heart behind them. And throughout church history, they built ornate buildings that now are empty. You can visit them as a tourist, 10, pay 10 bucks. Probably more now, inflation. And didn't we do it today? Sometimes you get to church, it's like this pomp and circumstance. You get the best uh, music and the best speaker and the best everything. And it's like, is God here? Because it's fine to have the best, but is God in it? Like what, what Tim led us before in prayer. It's like, can we just be quiet before God? In awe of God. This is about God. And if your religion isn't about him, and that is the biggest temptation for pastors or ministry leaders. That I'm, I'm, I'm somehow someone because our church is doing something. Let's just be honest. We're hebel. <laughs> that means we're meaningful. Everything we're doing as a church is meaningful. It is, and it's time. 30 years. You think anyone's going to remember who I am? Come on. Some of you, you're younger. You'll be old. I remember that weird, crooked tooth pastor named Jamie. <laughs> right? Telling your grandkids, they're just like, shut up, Grandma, you know, Grandpa. This is my guy, right? He's changing the world, right? And that's what happens. And it's humbling, and it's a little bit like, yeah, I guess that's true. But it's okay. Just accept it and realize if what we're doing in this Hebel life isn't about Jesus, then it's pointless. If what we're doing in our ministry and in our, our, our lives isn't about the Lord and bringing him glory, then it's ultimately Hebel. It it's maybe looks good right now, but it's gone. The way of religion, we have to be very careful Because in the end, no matter how many charitable things we do, no matter how much stuff we might do, and how many great stories people have from us, remember from a couple of weeks ago, we all end up here, don't we? If you weren't here, you're like, well, that's a depressing grave. 
That's what I want my grave to say. Dead. No, I don't want to say it. <laughs> Jamie, dead. All right. Because that's what happens. You gather somebody, whoever's around. Who knows? You'll be around. You're going to say some things, hopefully good things, and sing some songs, and hopefully they're hymns and they're praise songs. And then you're going to eat some cold cuts and some finger sandwiches. And if I'm really good in life, maybe some pasta. And then you go home. It's over. It's hebel. And so in the end, what is it about? And it better be about the more excellent way. The more excellent way. Now, I want to give you one more before we see the excellent way. Not as long. And it's another one that I think the preacher brings out throughout this section, really throughout this whole book. And it's called, I just call it the way of pain. P-A-I-N. The way of pain. This world has a lot of pain in it. You experience it. We see it. I mean, most of us distract ourselves from all the pain in the world because it's too overwhelming, right? The amount of people that are suffering, the amount of people that don't have, and what am I going to do about it, right? And so it's like it's better not to think about it because it can just become so overwhelming. And that's true the temptation for some, and I've had a lot of conversations with people, why don't you go to church anymore? Why don't you? I, it's just, this happened in my life, and it was too painful, and God just wasn't there. That's the temptation, is to divert your, the more excellent way because of pain. Watch how the preacher puts it. He says in, in chapter um, uh, 3, way back in verse 16, he says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice... Even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. What he's saying there is the places that should have justice and righteousness are sometimes the most wicked and unjust places. Courtrooms, kings, politicians. Not all of them, but in, by and large, throughout history, the places that should be helping people, they climb to that position of power and popularity not to help people, but to get from those people. And so his, if you look throughout the world, you're like, why are the very people who need help getting taken advantage of all the time? It's true in this broken, sinful world. I'll give you one more. He, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. So there's people being oppressed, and, and they need comfort, and they need help, and the very people who could comfort them and help them are just oppressing them even more, because they got the power. I mean, that's the world, isn't it? But here's the problem, is, is, is in this bleak observation, is one thing, but if we end up in the way of pain, we can end up saying, Two things, a statement or a question. The statement could be there is no God. The question could be where is God? If you're a Christian, I bet people have asked you that. Well, where's God in that situation, right? Maybe you've asked it. And it's, it's not a bad question. It's not off the table, but just don't let it jade you to the point where you miss the most excellent purpose that God has for you. Your life is hebel. The oppression and pain and injustice in this world was not caused by God. For some reason, we want to blame God for things we've done. That doesn't seem fair to me. But the, 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 the thing is, is God is actually a God of justice. 
God is actually a God of redemption, of salvation. The problem is in our Hebel life, we just may not see it come to pass. And you've got to become okay with that. That that person who did that thing is going to receive justice. The justice for their sin will either come on them for all of eternity or it comes on the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. The way of pain, the temptation of it is to say, you aren't there, God. So what I want you to understand is this is not your job. God's God. You get to go, all that oppression, all that injustice. It's not like he doesn't use us. He does. He uses us for justice in the world, for help in the world. And I'm not saying sit it out. I'm just saying stop being God and saying i, I got to save the world. You're never going to be able to do that. Because your life is hebel. You're barely breathing and then you're dying. That's how it works, right? But God is God. He says your life is about me. You've got to trust me. Don't let the way of pain take you away from here. When, when, when you hear and you cry out, where is God in all this? I want you to hear resounding, resounding voice. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. Why aren't you doing something about this, God? I want you to hear, I am. And I did. <laughs> and I continue to do it. You got to trust me with this you got to trust me. So the conclusion of this section in chapter 5 is the excellent way. It's going to sound familiar to you because we saw it in, in section 1 and we see this throughout the book. But so don't miss it. It says, behold, what I have seen to be good all right, and fitting in this Hebel life is to eat and drink. I like that. Amen. And find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun and the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Right? Your life is quick. It's changing. It's often puzzling. It's hard to grasp. So enjoy it. What you got right now. Stop looking at the crayons you don't have. It says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. So you might have stuff and power. Hey, enjoy them. They're not sinning themselves. Enjoy that. And accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he, and I love this, doesn't, I would want this for you so bad. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because why? God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Don't you want that? How are we doing with that? <laughs> all right, we're all works in progress. But that's available to you in this Hebel life. It's to be like, I don't remember, man, I am so enjoying what God has given me right now. Right, this, this excellent way is the way of faith. <laughs> I got a chance to practice this now. What are we? Uh, I can't remember now. It's, probably, it's less than 12 hours ago. So the Saturday people didn't get to hear this one, all right? I was in bed. My alarm hadn't gone on. It was a couple hours left. And I woke up. Anyone over the age of 40 knows why, and I won't have to describe it, okay? And uh, so I woke up, and then I went to come back in bed, and my five foot three wife is laying in such a way that her legs are like this way, right? I'm 6'1". Like, I just need a lane. That's it. I just need one lane, like a runway. I don't need the whole thing. Just boom, right? I'm like, oh, right? So I'm kind of, you know, I'm not going to wake her up and scream. It's not like I'm angry with her. But you've been there, I think, or unless you're better than me. Good, that's good. And, and so I kind of, but I thought of this, you know. I was like, 
And, and here's what I did for like two minutes and I fell back to sleep. As I started to pray, and I specifically thanked God for the different uh, aspects of my wife that are a gift from him to me. And my whole outlook wasn't like, move over, wife. Get your whole, right? It was, man, she's a gift to me. And then I fell asleep. <laughs> and that's what we're saying, is that, that there's always going to be frustrations and things you don't have, things you don't want. And if you make your life about this, it's so quickly gone. Instead, make your life about all that you do have, all the gifts that you're right now taking for granted in your life, in your family, in your work, in your toil. Enjoy it. Not sinfully enjoy it. He's not saying that. Enjoy it because it's a gift from God to enjoy the way of faith. And so here's what I would say, because I was thinking about this. It's, sometimes it's such churchy language, the way of faith. Okay, what is that? How do I, how do I tangibly do something, Jamie, if I'm, if I'm tempted to go one of these other ways, like self or religion or, right, or, or popularity, or I'm, I'm tempted to, to the, even the way of pain. Like, what do I do? So if especially the self ones, right, like um, if you know you're praying about it, you just know money is your thing. So it's tough. And so here's what you do. <laughs> you, you, you take your money and you take enough of it where it goes, and you give it. You might give it to God, give it to someone. I don't care. Give it. Just be generous because now you know. Is it an idol still? If your uh, is popularity, like you just kind of want that attention. You want attention for the things you've done well. Like just, you just got to be humble and understand that. that's that's my my pull. Here's what you do: go out and publicly praise somebody else, not sarcastically. Oh, aren't you good at your? No, no, no. I mean, really do it, and specifically praise your rival if you have one, and even if it's a little bit of a hidden one. Look at that person you're like always taking credit for my work. Always right. Probably your brother or sister, right? <laughs> you know, even if you're an adult. But, but it could be a coworker. I don't know. Whoever it is, if you have that person, then what you do is you publicly praise that person. That's how you know. Is that my idol? Right? So I can't go through the mall. But here's what happens when the way of faith is you can breathe. You can be like, you do your best, right? But in the end, if you get an A, praise God. If you get a C, praise God. The parents, I don't want you going, don't listen to him, all right? No. Yes, I want you to do your best. Don't be like, don't do your homework and then say, hey, the pastor said a C, praise God. No, 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 do your best. But it's Hebel, right? If you, if you make the sale, praise God. If you fail, praise God. Your life isn't about those things. It's about the more excellent way. And so before I close this in prayer, what if you're sitting there and you're like, and I know a lot of you know, it's a reminder though, and some of you may not, how do I get there? What's the way? How do I get there? I'm glad you asked. Because maybe you're like, maybe God's on a mountain somewhere up here going, huh, <laughs> good luck, right? And you're climbing the mountain trying to do good things. You're going to church, and then you fall back down. Man, I hope that's not your image of God. Whether there's some principal swiveling his chair at you going, what would you do this time? I want you to know, like, if you ask, where's the way? It's a good thing you asked that question because someone else asked it. He's a very underrated person in the Bible. I love him, and I, I feel so bad for him because he has this nickname for all of etern eternity, the doubter, Thomas. Thomas wasn't a doubter. He was just realistic. Come on, right? 
Like when Jesus is like, well, we got to go back to Jerusalem. And everyone's like, we can't go back there. And he's like, let's go back to Jerusalem where we will all die, right? He wasn't a doubter. He was just an Eeyore a little bit. It's okay. And he, and Jesus is talking. He's just like, there's this way and the way and the way. And, and, and I'm going here and I'm doing this. And, and, and you know all the apostles are like, huh? Thomas is the only one who's like, yo, Jesus, how do we know the way? How are we going to get there? And he just asked the question everyone else was thinking And Jesus said, great question. So here's the answer to you as well and to me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the way, the more excellent way, the way of faith is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the preacher. He brings all these scenarios. The isolated, lonely person. Is that you? Jesus came for you. The bitter, I lost it all, and I'm angry, and I don't want to hear about it person. Oh, Jesus came for you. The prideful, uh, religious hypocrite. There was Pharisees that came to Christ. He came for you, if you just be honest. But my favorite is as we look at the world and say, where has God, all this oppression, all of this injustice, we sometimes are very easily forget that we're all a part of it. We've all committed injustice. We've all hurt others. I think of the things I did as a kid and bullied some kid or did that. And it's like, ah, oh, why did I? We could go back. I can't. I've participated in all of this. Jesus came for the injustice and the oppression, and he died for it. That's why he's the way. He's the truth. And he, remember, is the way not to death. They will still have cold cuts for you, but you won't be there because you'll be with him once you put your faith in him. He's the way to life. And so it's just a question. I just want to invite you as I pray, um, if you've never like really, really just said, Jesus, you're my Savior, this is your opportunity. You know, I'm not going to make you get up and do a dance or anything like that. We're not baptizing you right away. I'd love to do that, but we're not ready for that. Just... Pray a prayer, and I'll invite you to do that. Let's, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, unless you're watching somebody. Father, I want to pray for any life in here who right now is in sin and didn't previously know the way, or maybe they just weren't ready to believe, Jesus, you're the only way, but you're making ready, you're, you're readying their heart right now. Lord, would you open their eyes to give them the faith to believe. Help them in their unbelief, Lord. And if you're there and that's you, just, just a prayer is just talking to God. Father, I have oppressed, I've done injustice, I've been a part of the mess of this world. I'm tired of it. Jesus died for my sin. Jesus paid it in full. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is my life. I say yes to you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. I say yes to you, Jesus. If you prayed that or if you prayed words like that and you just meant it in your heart, remember, there's no religious hypocrisy here. You gotta mean it. You gotta have faith. And I realize there's doubts. are still like, what, what is this all gonna mean? But when you do that, all of the scales of sin and shame fall never to be put back on. Lord, I pray you will comfort your people today. Those who are in the way of pain, those who are feeling 
tempted to not believe in you or not follow you because they've experienced or they've seen such, such horrid pain. Please give them a peace and a joy. Please, God, show them. You are dealing with it. You will deal with it. You have dealt with it. They just might not see it. They can trust you. And Father, for those of us who are running through some selfish thing in our life or tempted to, give us the strength to get back to the more excellent way of faith. Lord, remind us that money, popularity, and attention and success will give us nothing in this Hebel life. Only you. Only you. Lord, even for our religious hypocrites in the room, I know I've been there multiple times. Lord, give them the ability to confess just before you right now that they're not, their religion is not who they are. You, Jesus, you, their faith in you is who they are. Give them the strength to walk out of here knowing all they have to do, all we have to do is by your grace, follow you, trust you, trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you can sing and stand, let's stand. If you want to sit, that's fine too, but let's sing together.